Today's Green is a seven-episode podcast that explores the climate crisis through the minds of local leaders and global experts. These short, accessible conversations share new ways of working together via personal stories about creating a healthy, just, and sustainable future. As economic disparity, environmental degradation, and social injustices continue emerging as the defining issues of the 21st century, we need solutions that scale faster than the pace of the problems. These conversations ask how. Welcome to Raise Green with Matt Maroney and Franz Hochstraster. Hey Franz, how's it going today? Happy Friday. Hey Matt, going okay, although we are definitely experiencing a pretty bizarre moment in history here in, in California. Yesterday and the day before have been frighteningly uh, air polluted and, and we've had an enormous amount of, in fact, record numbers of wildfires and all across the, the West producing terrible air pollution and covering the sky in a sort of haunting orange glow. So it's pretty surreal at the moment. We're all very much uh, aware of and feeling the impacts of, of climate change. Yeah, I think it's it's hard not to feel when you look out your window and see an orange sky and half the West Coast on fire. And so, frankly, I want to do something about it. I don't quite know what to do. I know some of the big players now are, are talking about impact investing. Do you think some of these institutions are are, are going to help us with these problems, are, are, are putting capital in, in things that are, are, are working towards solutions to having less fires? Yeah, well, I, I just picked up a report from Morningstar the other day that says that in the second quarter of 2020, uh, there's around $10 billion in, invested in ESG funds, which has me thinking that people are becoming more and more aware, but definitely not not an expert on how exactly that translates into impact. And we do know somebody who is, though, and uh, we're excited to have a conversation with them. What, what do you think about reaching out to Joel Solomon? You know what? That's a great idea, Franz. Joel Solomon is the founding partner of Renewal Funds, Canada's largest mission venture capital firm at over 240 million assets under management, investing primarily in organic food and environmental technology. He brings a wealth of experience to the field with over 14 years as a principal for an innovative, quote, activist family office with Carol Newman prior to founding Renewal Funds. He is a co-author of The Clean Money Revolution, co-producer of The Integrated Capital Institute, a TEDx Vancouver speaker, a founding member of the Social Venture Network, Business for Social Responsibility, the Tides Canada Foundation, and a 25-year board chair of Hollyhock, as well as a University of British Columbia governor. Amazing resume. Well, let's let's give Joel a call and see what he thinks about uh, impact investing in this, this day and age and this unique moment in history where we have so many compounding crises, um, but we're all hoping for, for a better future. Hey, Joel, thanks for uh, taking some time to speak with us today. I'm delighted to do it and appreciate your time and attention. Yeah, I know that 
Friday afternoons in the Pacific Northwest <laughs> in early September are some of the most treasured times. So uh, especially appreciative given some of that climatic considerations. Thank you. Uh, but uh, there, there's a bit of Oregon smoke starting to show up here which we hadn't had until the last couple of days. I think that's exactly why we want to have this conversation. Excellent. You are a veteran in the space of impact investing. So I wanted to share a stat, start with a stat from Morningstar. This came out in June 2020. Sustainable fund flows in the United States continued at a record pace in the second quarter of 2020 with estimated net inflows of $10.4 That nearly matched first quarter flows and brought the total for the first half of 2020 to $20.9 billion, just shy of the net inflows of the entire year of 2019. Last year's inflows into sustainable investing were four times the previous record. Uh, so given all of this massive influx, mm -hmm. what is driving the growth of impact investing, of sustainable investing, of responsible investing, whatever you want to call it, what is driving that growth in your mind? There's clearly a heart and mind shift that's been underway and a new awakened point of view for all of us, or for many of us, and the number's growing regularly, obviously, which is I have some money. I want to put it in savings. I want to buy health insurance or health insurance supplement in Canada. <laughs> um, I, I, I want to take care of my family. I want to make some long-term choices. Once back earlier in my life, when I started to examine what was underneath those choices, where do I put my money and does it do harm? Does it do more harm? and less good or does it do more good and less harm and i only want to be affiliated with less harm and more good and i believe that this idea and concept and way of looking at the world that's taken a, some decades to mature and evolve and challenge the incumbent financial system and point of view about what investing is about and more and more of us do not want to have ownership of things that are doing severe damage and we would rather own things that are solving problems and creating solutions for the future so that is now an unstoppable concept inside the finance and investing world that the most major players on the planet have realized they must adapt and serve that audience better and this is causing a sequence of activities in which entrepreneurs, companies, existing incumbents all have to look at the consumer of their financial product in a very different way with an emerging mindset that will change the face of how money is used on the planet. Wow, yeah, um, I, I definitely think that that awakening is, is taking place as rapidly as you described, and we're certainly seeing that um, across the conversations that we're beginning to, to have with folks, both in the institutional space and uh, individual investors, like you say. 
And I'm, I'm particularly curious about that interplay between the biggest investors, the um, major players in the world, um, and the, the individual. And, um, you know, $24 trillion in wealth uh, or net worth is going to be transferred to millennials who are kind of at the forefront of, of some of that, uh, that transition in thinking. And just curious, um, what is the role of, uh, of the, the big players um, in that shift versus the role of the smaller players and, and how do they uh, feed on each other? The small players are going to be the first innovators, are going to be the burr in the, in the, inside your sock, uh, or are, are going to, yeah, going to be the agitation which starts to first be discounted and belittled as as not very smart because they have a business model which depends on a different kind of investing and they have amassed trillions of dollars of assets under management if you take the whole planet uh, and there are more trillions of dollars being invested in things that people are now questioning how they do their business what their positive and negative impacts will be on society on planet and on future generations. So the, the, the big players are having to adapt and create products and services, language and conversation in the way that they understand their customers so that when they see the signals that somebody actually cares about what those companies are doing while the investor sleeps at night, and has to go and talk to their children about what they do with their money eventually. The big players are smart. And so once there was critical mass of an alternative view and new players that began to chip away at market dominance, the big ones have got to figure out how to, how to get ahead of that before their business really erodes on them. What we have yet to see in how the world will play out is will this truly shift the entire future face of capital deployment and how it's allocated around the world and what kind of standards, ethics, and accountability does that have after the era of the only goal of money is to make more money, the only goal of making more money is infinite wealth, and what I'm going to do with that wealth and why I want to have that wealth is becoming fuzzier and fuzzier. So as these awarenesses and consciousness, that kind of consciousness arises, you're going to see a, a wonderful period of innovation and creativity and new ways of looking at money and its use. Well, I, I appreciate you giving uh license to me because I specialize in in being a burr <laughs> and, and and being <laughs> irritating. So I, I appreciate that because I think, you know, it's interesting comparing the growth of our firm. You know, people have been looking at us as crazy. What are you doing? Uh, there's plenty of sources of capital out there. Um, and now I think people are getting increasingly excited about the potential of what we're doing. Um, someone has to clear the trail first. 
so that other people can walk on it, as you're well aware in your work doing trail crew uh, out on Cortez Island. I would say that it's 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 very interesting. I, I think we're in a time of a turnover, and I say that because I try to take inspiration from natural systems, and lakes turn over at about 40 degrees. And basically what that means is that the temperature on the top of the lake becomes the same temperature on the bottom of the lake. And so all the nutrients from the bottom roll over and circulate around the lake. And I feel that we're almost at a time of that equalization happening on the retail and the institutional space with that unstoppable force that you've mentioned because of the fundamental adaptability and cleverness of the largest financial institutions to cater to the market demands, which we're seeing. I'm curious, how have you channeled those, you know, demands from your clients for, for impact so that they can, you know, talk to their kids without getting berated? <laughs> um, how has that influenced the portfolio composition of renewal funds? So because this is something that early enough, still quite naive and idealistic, I just became insistent personally upon how my own money got placed. With whom, for what purposes, how did they behave, how did the total of all of that affect things that I care about in a positive or negative way. So as you move into professionalizing that kind of intention and vision, and a field has been growing around us all, both on the entrepreneur side and the investor side, that we believe, we hope we're correct about this, that business, finance, and money could be an extremely powerful force for good, and we could invest in the long-term future and well-being for generations to come, and for ecosystems that support us as humans to be here. So. Once that premise starts to take root, the early days can be tough and you're an outlier and you get snickered at a little bit or poo-pooed. Um, oh, that's nice, but you're just a little bit of money and you're not having that big of an effect. Well, the organizing that happens from, let's say, the relational fields around these kinds of, this kind of thinking and the products and services that come out of them as independent new kinds of products and services and then as the incumbents see success there and start to fear that they might be losing a piece of the marketplace, they start to either purchase the players that are doing that so that they have expertise that already exists. They start investing in university grads and trying to show up in business schools and places to show that they are thinking more this way, that they're cleaning up their practices. They are talking to their consumers and the person that understands the math of a dollar under management paying them a fee every hour, no matter what they're doing, and they want more of those little taxi meters, then they start to try to understand the field and pick for best of sector and away from worst of sector. And that's the first step. And then as pressure mounts and new issue areas come up, they go further. And they start, they, they realize that if they can be on the front end of this, whether it's in municipal bonds that are doing cleanup of 
bad septic systems and making sure there's safe water and building with better environmental materials when you build infrastructure and all these kinds kinds of things they they they're smart people and they begin to realize that there are signals and symbols and messages that you can demonstrate to your consumer your clients your people's money that you're managing and even if you did not come at this from idealism or your own personal values or things like that when marketplaces change money follows that and the big infrastructures also follow it because they don't want to miss out and if they have to hold back from investing in private prisons because those private prisons are causing too much harm to their reputation and to their clients will uh, taste for being with them then there's kind of the more conventional and mainstream part of the world that gets swept by new ideas and new mindsets so we're in that period right now it's very dynamic many major concentrations of wealth in the world whether they're privately held family held or institutionally held are understanding that they cannot ignore these trends and consumer preferences and as the each next generation is born into a a different world that maybe has does not have the point of view i got to be born at a time where you could kind of lay back and think progress is happening everything's going to get better i don't have to really worry about it to oh my goodness look at this environmental disaster look at this human rights situation you go on through all of the kinds of issues and challenges on the planet and you say i can't be part of that i need to be part of of the solutions i think it's so insightful to to recognize the insurgent and incumbent sort of roles um as they evolve and as you describe them so clearly and and to hear your story of going from being the burr in the sock as an insurgent who was occasionally perhaps snickered at to being you know now over 200 million in assets under management and having built an enormous and well reputed firm in in renewal it's very inspiring to say the least but uh i i think one thing that and i couldn't agree with you more that we're now watching the the dominant negative presumption about impact investing sort of flip on its head and one thing that has started to happen that i think is so indicative of of what you're saying and would love to get your thoughts on is that the sec now commissioner pierce and, and a couple others have started to mention their increasing skepticism about the esg label so as you have uh institutional players coming out with more and more esg products to service the rising demand um that skepticism from regulators is starting to emerge as well and i'm i'm wondering uh what you at renewal do to provide regular and ongoing verifiability uh that your investors are getting the impact that they expect yeah well first i want to give some credit to the regulators and people that have to deal with protecting the public that we're talking about subject matter that has a lot of subjectivity to it even has emotion to it and is not simple to quantify in a way that we can all measure and agree to that it's all you know we're seeing the same picture and the same uh, belief of how this is all going uh you get organic food standards 
you dig deeper, you find out that there's hundreds of exceptions to what organic is and what it has to do and what's the, you know, the level of, of, of so-and-so chemical that can be present or can't be present. And you realize that, that legislating morals, ethics, and instinct about good and bad is not simple. So I empathize with the regulators in the sense that they don't want people selling something that's not honest. And then it becomes not just an issue of honesty, but of what do we mean by these words, what's behind them, and how pure is it or isn't it? So that's an exciting and dynamic period when you've got a consumer base and a a, a conceptual shift of consciousness and analysis of the world that is moving your direction. This leads now to how do we handle this? Well, at the bottom of it is really we have to be storytellers and we have to have uh, analysis criteria that include numbers of measurable things and then arenas where you have to make a leap of subjective judgment that might be pure choice of what I feel is better or what I feel is worse for the larger world. And so you can't perfectly quantify all of this stuff. It's like, what makes a good person? You're going to get a measuring system and how many times do I sneer? How many times do I throw away something before I ate all of it or I didn't properly recycle or, you know, so this is, this is about direction, not about finality. I don't, I, I don't know who is the arbiter of absolute good and absolute bad. So we live in a world where that's not simple and very multi-layers of ways we can look at things. But we have to start developing a language just like science does, like mathematics does, like literature does, like artistic expression does. So I mentioned first two things that are somewhat measurable and then two things that are very subjective and personal. And I could simple it down to that's my ethics and morals and my preferences about how I want to be a human being. Am I a better or worse human being if I call the government fascist because it wants me to provide better worker safety during a time of COVID? How do you judge that? How do you measure it? How do you, how do you weigh it? And so there are measurable things, and then there's a lot of subjective things. So as a firm that's in this business, we do our best to create a portfolio where the company's product and service is simple enough for at least a large number of people to go, yes, that makes sense to me. And if we do that well enough, then when there's some things that maybe are uh, super sophisticated and complex and not easy for everyone to understand, you get a bit of a pass card of trust because you've proven. And if people ask you questions about the companies or about how you're choosing and how your practices are to judge entrepreneurs and things like that, that eventually they build confidence in your judgment and your consistency, reliability, and integrity about that. So what I just said is applicable to every different part of human life. Am I a good person? Am I a bad person? Do people like me? Do they not like me? Do they trust me, not trust me? And, and so when you, when you attempt to scienceize the world and be definitive about measurabilities, everything's not necessarily measurable. So you, you measure what you can, you tell stories, and you help your customer feel the actual human spirit behind 
who you're investing in and why they are uh, spending their lives to create products that they believe are reducing pollution by creating better management of transportation systems or uh, you're removing very toxic substances from the supply chain of building materials. You're finding technology that will spot leakage of pipes underground that have been there for years and years and years and no one could ever really knew how how efficient the the water carrying system was and so at the end of the day we make our judgments based on our best instincts and what we think we know and what we aspire to and just as in dating or in political voting everything that's got subjectivity there is no definitive answer there are some definitive things, and we live in that complex world as investors selling a product to people that are backing us to go out and deploy their money. We're building trust, and we're building consistency, and that's basically what it's built on. Yeah, I, I love that, Joel. I love to think of change as a derivative rather than a solution. The work you're doing at Renewal is really pointing the direction of, of where to go. And the risk of you know, constant verifiability and quantification is losing some of the wonder. And I always go back to say, you know, how can we blend together art and science to get the best possible outcomes for things? Because if we rely too much on one particular perspective, we will miss some of the most important pieces. And I think the work you've done to try to point everyone in the direction that you think we need to go, I, I don't think it's an egoistic thing. I think it's basically saying, this is quantitatively better than the previous. It is better to use less energy <laughs> because it is just less wasteful. Um, and there's just certain right. things that are kind of first, first principles and folks, like you and Renewal are applying those first principles and really pioneering and proving out a different model of finance and ultimately a, a different model of how we can all live in a better way on a better planet. And I thank you for that. And I thank you for all of the time that you've spent with us um, sharing your win wisdom and, and insight to two burrs yeah. uh, and small players in this world. We take inspiration from, from you. So thank you again. That is very generous of you. And I would just say that like being a human being, uh, no matter what your focus or career or specialty is, integrity, honesty, self-reflection, continuing to challenge yourself and welcome challenges and to improve and be part of a wave of people whose goal is to keep doing better at doing better and learn along the way because we do not know we there's no way we can analyze every single aspect of what an investment is doing whether it's good or bad but just like we do in the in human relations we have to choose and people are imperfect but we choose for qualities that give us a sense of safety comfort um, and uh, a relationship that we feel we can trust and it's not really that much different in investing. Well, an enormously uh, valuable guidance uh, from 
major leader who literally wrote the book on the clean money revolution. So with that, Joel, we can't thank you enough again for joining us. And we're looking forward to sharing your message with the world. I appreciate the opportunity. It's been great to speak with you. Take care. Now go uh, toss toss a ball to your pup that's been patient, <laughs> patiently waiting out there in the sunshine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, thanks. It's really a pleasure and I uh, hope it works well for you. You know, what I really enjoyed about the conversation with Joel was his parallels of how finance and the economy and money and investing, you know, it's not an abstract thing. It's really about people, right? Um, do you trust someone? Do you like someone? Um, you know, these ideas of, you know, do you trust your investments? Do you like your investments? He does a really good job of humanizing investments and showing how just like we can improve ourselves, uh, we can also improve the world by really taking a hard look at, at what composes uh, our investments, just like what composes our character. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think part of uh, what was fun, so fun catching up with him uh, was hearing that he actually was on the verge of going for a nice walk on Southern Cortez Island with his, his dog Ziggy. And he seems to have a very uh, powerful uh, work-life balance, uh, so to speak. But he also had a really powerful theory of change, I think, and and that really came across to me is um, that we're in such an uh, such a catalytic period that uh, he felt as though you know we're really awakening um, as as a society in a way uh, with a new point of view, and his description of that theory of change um, was was so powerful in identifying that you know the burrs in the sock or the insurgents. Um, although they start from a period of, or from a, a standpoint of mon marginalization, um, they push incumbents into action um, in, a, in an enormously uh, well-leveraged way. Um, so I thought that was fascinating. So um, great catching up with, with Joel on this episode. If you want to learn more about uh, Joel, he has written a book called The Clean Money Revolution. Reinventing Power, Purpose, and Capitalism, and he runs uh, the Renewal Fund. Um, so we would encourage you to check out those resources. And uh, thank you, as always, for, for joining us on the Raise Green podcast.